Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code, the management consultancy for what happens next. For more information, you can visit heroncode.com. In this podcast, we will be talking to female leaders of today to inspire the leaders of tomorrow. Today in the Heron Code studio, we are joined by Melda Yasharsh-Jeb. She is a chemical engineer with an MBA degree. She's built her career in the last 23 years within the fast-moving consumer goods industry in commercial functions. She's done this across three multinational companies and globally in countries such as Turkey, Egypt, India and the Arabian Peninsula. She has also been recognized many times by Forbes magazine as one of the most successful CEOs in the Middle East. In a country like Turkey, it's not always, um, you know, it, the conditions for, for women are not necessarily comfortable. Maybe you need to work a bit harder than your male colleagues, mm. because what comes to them easily, naturally, what's offered to them by the society is not offered to you. My close friends are uh, equally important in my life as my husband or my kids. For me, the sisterhood is super important. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code. Welcome back to the Heron Code podcast, Women in Leadership Season 2. Ladies and gents, we enjoyed Season 1 so much. We had the most incredible guests take to our podcast and you guys received it so, so well. So it is even better that we have an incredible Season 2 lined up for you here this season. And I'm Nimi Mehta. Uh, for those of you, I'm back. Season 2 is going to be fantastic. I'm excited because we have our first guest of the season and today... You're hearing it a bit later, but right now we are recording on International Women's Day, which is just so fitting and appropriate for the guest we have on today. She is a chemical engineer with an MBA degree. She has built her career in the last 23 years within the fast-moving consumer goods industry in commercial functions. She's done this across three multinational companies and globally in countries such as Turkey, Egypt, India, and the Arabian Peninsula. She has also been recognized many times by Forbes magazine as one of the most successful CEOs in the Middle East. Please welcome to the Heron Code Women in Leadership podcast, Melda Yasharsh Jeb. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for the nice introduction. And you made me, you know, a bit embarrassed. <laughs> Not at <laughs> all. all of those. Uh, but yeah, thanks for the opportunity. And it's great to be here with you on the International Women's Day and as the first episode of season two. I know. I'm so thrilled to have you here. And I know it's, sometimes it's quite, you know, cringe or embarrassing to hear your accomplishments. You know, <laughs> sometimes you have to pinch yourself and be like, are they talking about me? Uh, and we are talking about you. And we're so thrilled to have you on the Thank podcast you. here today, Malda. Um, your career has been incredible. I mean, 23 years uh, within, you know, uh, such a vast industry, which has developed and you have developed on a personal level as well. So I'd love to take you back to where it all started, which is, uh, has been a theme on the Heron Code podcast, mm -hmm. because I think that in order to acknowledge where you are today, we need to understand where it came from. Uh, so tell me, why did you go into this particular industry and what kind of started your love for it? It wasn't planned. <laughs> I, I'm Turkish. I was born in a mid-sized city uh, to a middle-income family, teacher, banker, parents. But I was a curious, smart kid. And I showed strength in math and science uh, during my education. And, and as a natural uh, progression, I found myself in engineering school. It wasn't necessarily the, the common choice for a girl in my country at that time. So people around me were 
questioning my choice whether I should really go to engineering. Mm-hmm. But I'm super happy that I did. I think I got the analytical skills during that education, but I was only, you know, one of the few girls in the class, you know, among mm-hmm. 50 boys. Once I finished engineering, although I enjoyed the education, I realized that it's really not fitting with my uh, expectations from life. I'm really an extrovert person, like working with uh, big teams. And when you're an engineer, generally, you know, on the assembly line, you're with smaller teams. Sometimes you're alone. So I said, you know what, I want to work in marketing. It's really um, part of life. You're in touch with so many human beings. But then people told me, no, I mean, you're an engineer How can you work in marketing? I did my MBA, pushed myself to find a job in marketing. And again, I mean, I was a bit different there too, because I was one of the very few engineers in the entire marketing function. After some time, I realized that if I really want to build a brand properly, it's not enough to know marketing, but you also need to understand sales. How does that product actually land in the consumer's hand? So I wanted to move to sales. Again, I mean, people were questioning. My manager was like, yeah, but marketing is easier and it's more fit for a woman. We can be in the office, in the ivory tower, Mm -hmm. meetings with the agencies. Why do you really want to go to sales beyond the field? It's physically demanding. And in a country like Turkey, it's not always... um, You know, it, the conditions for for women are not necessarily comfortable. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to try that as well. Then I did sales. And I think I realized that I'm really enjoying what I do. I'm trying different functions. And I said, okay, this is something that I enjoy. I enjoy it holistically and I should stay in this industry for longer. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've been uh, in FMCG building brands. Wow. I mean, we say the rest is history, but there is so much history there that we are going to get into. Absolutely. And one thing that really stands out to me and what you've just told me is that you had constant resistance. <laughs> right? From your society, from your community, uh, maybe even from your culture. Could you tell us more about how incredibly like mentally strong you had to be for that and very self-aware as to who you are and what you want to continue pursuing what you truly wanted out of your career? Very true. Unfortunately, I come from a part of the world where the societal norms are based on long-lasting traditions and most of them are not necessarily fair especially if you're coming from an underprivileged group, female, or it might be something else, your ethnic background. You have to follow those norms and, and they might not be really, you know, what you want uh, mm-hmm. from life. So you need to find the courage to say no and to, to rebel and to challenge um, mm-hmm. those norms. And I think to a large extent, I was able to challenge those norms. To start with, I think I have to give credit to my family because they never treated me or my brother differently. Like I never felt like uh, I'm inferior or I am less, I can do less. Mm -hmm. So I think it really starts at home, how you're wired by your parents and the example that you see at home. But I think after that, what I realized is that, yes, I'm a woman. That's part of who I am, part of my identity, but that's not... That's not it. There's more to me than just being a girl, a, a woman. And my capabilities, uh, my ability to learn, to progress doesn't depend on my gender. It depends on my brain mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. my willpower. Uh, so I always kept reminding myself that. But of course, at times, maybe you need to work a bit harder than your male colleagues. Mm. Uh, because what comes to them easily, naturally, what's offered to them by the society is not offered to you. So although you believe yourself and you know that you, you have what it takes, 
uh, you might need to put, you know, a little extra effort and be okay with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's uh, that's how I got where I got. Mm, absolutely. And I think what's also brave of your story and your journey is the not being afraid to try something new. I mean, engineering, a normal person would have just stuck to it. You switched to marketing, then switched to sales. Where did this need come from to, I guess, discover yourself more in different sectors of the industry? I don't know where it came from, but I know that I'm a very curious person. I like exploring. Mm. Uh, And it's not just at work. I like exploring different cuisines. I like exploring people, Mm -hmm. uh, traveling, um, reading different types of books, um, I mean, as we speak, actually, I'm, you know, preparing to move to Singapore, to another part of the world, wow. uh, because there's so much to learn. And, you know, I'm a small piece mm-hmm. in this world. So that curiosity keeps me going. I, I think, you know, changing departments, changing companies, geographies, or, you know, even studying engineering and then an MBA is coming from that curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I kept feeding it. I think that's, uh, you know, the source of my passion. And every time I tried something new out of that curiosity, of course, at the beginning, it's difficult. Mm. It's not easy, of course, but it's not about being happy every day, right? I mean, maybe the transition is a bit difficult, but then every time I tried something new, I realized how much it elevated me, how much it pushed me. Uh, So getting out of that comfort zone has been always very rewarding. Mm. Now I'm aware of it, so it's easier to be curious. Mm. But I think at the beginning... Well, maybe it was my instinct. <laughs> yeah, and and I think you're right. I think we do live in a world where instant gratification is something that we have, right? So short-term goals, people are mostly focused on that, but it's the long-term vision. It's the overall future or the legacy that you're looking to build. So tell me, when you went into marketing and then sales, where did you see your career going? And has it planned out the way that you saw it? I, I think maybe five, six years into my career, I have decided that, yes, I like this industry. I want to grow in the FMCG because it's very fast paced. It's in touch with the world. I like building brands. It's also very holistic. It's not one fun- one discipline, but there is, you know, production of the product. There is R&D. There is innovation, sales, marketing. So it's, I can keep exploring. It's mm-hmm. never boring. Mm-hmm. And the trends change. Consumers uh, change. So it actually works to who I am because I like that change. I like the exploration. So I think I decided at that time. And since then, I've been talking to people in the industry, outside the industry, getting mentorship to understand where can I go and what are the paths that, you know, will take me uh, there? Career is not linear. There is not one way to go to the end vision. There are different alternatives. One thing I, I realized at that point from talking to different people and reading their biographies, geographical experience helps a lot. Mm. Um, learning different consumers, different trades, different media channels. It really increases your understanding of the of the business. So that was one thing that I understood definitely. Changing the categories. I mean, I worked in healthcare, baby care, household products, food. Again, that understanding of different categories, different consumers give you a, a better perspective, that mm. you know, diverse understanding of the consumers. So I think these are the things I learned from people by asking. And since then I've been trying to, you know try as many categories, companies, geographies as I could to keep building my experience and my, you know, diverse uh, mm. understanding. And yes, I mean, I wanted to lead a, a, a 
multinational organization, lead a team. And I'm, I'm so lucky that, you know, uh, life brought me where I am. <laughs> well, it's luck and it's hard work and it's conviction in what you do, right? And I think what's so what's so interesting as well is how, how we spoke about, you know, you're trying, it's trying different things, but then also professionally is incredibly important, but personally is a whole other thing. And, you know, uh, whether you're a male or a female, this all comes hand in hand. I feel like we're in a time now and there's been a massive shift since COVID where people are realizing, you know, on a personal level, if if I'm not happy personally, I'm not going to mm-hmm. pursue anything professionally. So if you don't mind me indulging more into sure. your personal life, how has that been for you? I mean, I believe you have a family now. You are married with beautiful children. Uh, where is the balance there? Because mm-hmm. people talk about a balance, but we spoke to a guest in season one who said, I don't think it's about finding a balance. I just think it's there's no right or wrong. It's just finding what you're comfortable with. So how has that process been in juggling a massive, uh, su- successful career, but then also being successful mm-hmm. on a personal level as well? I mean, I agree with that, uh, you know, the lady who you talked mm. uh, during season one. I also don't think anymore there is work and life and you try to balance it. I think it's more of an integration Mm -hmm. these days. So you need to find the right integration for yourself as well, uh, for what you're trying to do for your family. And sometimes work might take more time in a week and the the following week it might be your life that takes more. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there are, you know, very rigid boundaries uh, between the two. So it's more of an integration the way I see it. But I think it also starts with enjoying what you do. I really enjoy what I do. So it's not like I don't feel like I'm sacrificing from my personal life to do what I do. I find satisfaction there. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's not it's not a debate between, okay, oh, today I'm going to work. I should have stayed home. So I think it starts with really enjoying what you do and trying to find some purpose in what you do as well. If you're just working for the money, I'm assuming that it's maybe more difficult Mm -hmm. But if you're finding you know, personal satisfaction, purpose in what you do, then it keeps it going and you don't think about, oh, okay, how, mu- how many hours I worked and how much effort I put into this mm-hmm. because it's taking you to where you want to go personally and professionally. Mm. But maybe another angle is the support system and uh, who you have around you. By support system, I mean it might be your family members, it might be your husband, or if you can afford, it might be a help at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I personally had the, the privilege to have a support system. Mm-hmm. In the earlier years of my career, it was more maybe my mom or my mother-in-law were coming to help in with the kids. Later on, one, uh, once we had more maybe, you know, financial means, uh, we decided that we will invest more into having help at home and maybe, you know, less into having a designer bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's a personal choice, right? So the choice was to, to build that support system so that when I come uh, home from work, I don't need to spend time for cleaning, laundry, but I can spend the time uh, with my kids. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I mean, your partner, uh, mm-hmm. my husband... I think has been key in helping me to find the right integration in the work-life balance. So he does his part. I do my part. We plan together. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it works. But of course, it's not perfect all the time. It doesn't mean that I don't have difficult days where I feel like I overworked or I'm overwhelmed. Mm. But, you know, on the long term, I think it's it's okay. And it's about, you know, knowing what you want. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think I saw this quote the other day that said, the most important decision you will ever make in your life is the partner you choose to do life with. Mm-hmm. And that stuck out to me because 
we don't think about this enough. And I think that the younger generations are actually now thinking about it more. You know, there might have been pressures with previous generations to just follow the norm. But now with what we want to achieve in life as women, we need to think about these things. So your husband also has a very powerful high flying job for you both to balance that. How does that dynamic work? Not to get into couples therapy, but <laughs> sometimes we get couples therapy as well. Yeah. So it's not always perfect. Mm. Uh, we're not the perfect couple, but I can share what has worked for us so far. Mm. And I'm sure every couple will find their own ways of managing their lives um, together. For us, the, um, I think the starting point is agreeing on what's our um, family mission or what are we trying to achieve? What's our purpose as a family? Not just as a couple, but also for our kids mm -hmm. as well. We don't have a written document of purpose, mission, <laughs> vision like a corporate. Mm -hmm. But broadly, you know, we know where we want to land. We know what are the values that are important for us. What are the values we want to pass on to our kids. I think it's really important to have that alignment. Because if you don't have this, you know, the same vision, then it's super easy, I think, to get distracted. One might go one way, the other might go the other way. Mm -hmm. And it will create a lot of friction on a day-to-day -day basis. So I think that's... That's first. Mm -hmm. I would say we have that ground rules, the alignments we have. The second thing is we have agreed that we will not make tactical decisions for our careers uh, or for our kids, whatever. But we will always plan ahead, have a long term plan mm -hmm. and decide accordingly. Uh, so there is always a long range plan that we have in mind. Okay, the next three years, what do we want to do for the kids, for us, for our careers? So that planning has helped. I think it's better than communicating less because mm -hmm. uh, so much happening in his work in mine. Yeah. We all have our stresses, but we try to keep the communication flowing. And then I think together we have been able to create that support system, the two of us and the surroundings. Mm -hmm. uh, so even our assistants, our executive assistants, they see both of our calendars. Sometimes they talk to each other to, mm -hmm. to help us. So mm -hmm. they are part of the, you know, the extended support system as well with planning. This is the thing. It's, I think that's so fascinating and I'm so glad you're sharing this because some people just think that it happens so easily. But behind mm -hmm. closed doors, there needs to be structure within a relationship because that is how you both get to pursue and be the best versions of yourselves. And and what you mentioned was passing on the values to your, to your children as well. How important has it been for you to see your children see you work hard? It is important for me because uh, I really want them to appreciate hard work mm -hmm. and that life is not it's not that easy and especially I mean they're you know born and raised in Dubai mm. and you know in Dubai we're so privileged we're spoiled mm -hmm. uh, it's an amazing city but life is sometimes too easy for the kids and they are not necessarily able to see the importance of uh, hard work mm -hmm. so definitely I mean it's it's important for us for them to see that but it's not just the hard work it's the, the resilience uh, but it's also the curiosity to learn these are all the values we want to you know we're trying to pass on to them mm -hmm. but of course they are not also very happy that mom and dad are not there all the time or not accessible all the time but I think overall, they're happy. They understand. They understand. That is key because there's communication there. So they get it. Um, now, I want to switch back to professionally because I think what what you have done for your community and, and you know, uh, your industry has been incredible. Uh, you are focused on diversity and inclusion. You're an advocate for this. So I'd love to hear from you why you think that is such an important mm. thing and why your heart kind of went that way and why is that important for businesses to look at and actually improve 
within their structure. I think my awareness about the importance of diversity and inclusion uh, started more when I moved to Dubai 13 years ago because this is such a melting pot of uh, people from you know different backgrounds, not just gender, nationality, religion, but you know in all ways of uh, you can think of diversity. I had the chance to experience it in the office in, with my team to see you know how it really helps uh, to, to build a community to build the business. So I think the awareness started uh, you know more more uh, at that time. Why I believe it's important when we're different, when we're different in terms of you know all those gender nationality background, we bring different perspectives uh, to the table. Then when we're making a decision, it's not just you know um, one idea or two idea on the table, but there are multiple ideas, and we can you know from those uh, pick the best one. But I think that's the easier part to understand why diversity is good. But this is also just the tip of the iceberg. Mm-hmm. I think there's more to it. What I mean with that is. When we're similar, it's very easy to get into a groupthink atmosphere. Ah, Nimi, this is a great idea. Ah, I like your idea. I think the same. Then we become a bit lazy. Mm. We make that decision quite easily. New ideas don't come because we're similar. I like your idea. Mm -hmm. It's easy to make a decision. When we are very different, it actually makes us to work harder. Because if I know that... You're coming from a complete different background, have different experience, have a different point of view. Even before that meeting, I'm going to prepare better. Mm-hmm. I'll come to you. I'll be ready to answer your questions. I'll challenge you back. So collectively, through that uh, process, we will become smarter. Mm-hmm. So in my opinion, diverse teams actually make each other smarter. So eventually the results are, are, are much better. And I have seen this definitely in my teams. Of course, the process is more difficult. Mm. When it's a team of homogeneous people, you decide very easily. There is harmony and you think, okay, this is a great team because we can make decisions very fast. There is no friction. Everyone loves each other. But I think it's wrong. Mm-hmm. There is value in that process being a bit painful, people challenging each other because what you get at the end is more precious compared to the first. 100% and it's always worth it in the end. But there are some leaders within big organizations that I guess need to shift their perspective, I guess. So would you have any tips or words of advice for those leaders if they're listening right now to actually change their perspective on the diversity inclusion side of things within their business? I don't know if this is politically correct to Mm. say, but I see a lot of People pretending Mm -hmm. that they are actually caring for diversity and inclusion without really understanding what it means for them. Mm. So I think there is still a lot that needs to be done, the organizations need to do to really explain why it matters. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can be explained by data because there is scientific data why diverse teams are uh, bringing better results. Maybe it's sometimes by examples, but I think before any advice uh, to the individuals, to the leaders, to the companies, my recommendation is really to build the understanding of the importance of uh, diversity and inclusion, not just celebrating the International Women's Day by Mm -hmm. giving a flower to their female employees, but really explaining to the male employees why it's important to have gender balance in the in the workforce so it's it's I believe really important by the way with this question you can see the passion coming out yeah no and I love (laughs) it but so but to the individual to the leaders I think one one trap that we might all fall into and sometimes I do as well we tend to hire people that are similar to us Mm. uh, because there is already a chemistry yeah and 
subconsciously there is a bias mm-hmm. because we get along better uh, we think very similar uh, so i think the, the you know the best advice advice i can give is please try to avoid uh, recruiting people that are similar to you similar to your profile you know create a more diverse team and and then the second um, uh, advice might be um it's important to have the right balance of profiles in a team so the team is as strong as the the consolidated um capabilities of the organization so when creating a team it's really important to understand what each can bring to the table mm-hmm. and try to create a team uh in that manner mm. and i think that's so important and i hope that people do take note of this and you know it being international women's day today um you know i think it should be international women's day every day but <laughs> here we are i thought about women who have kind of transformed my life you know and it mm-hmm. took me back to just taking a moment to remember that actually my best moments in my career was when other women empowered me mm. and made me feel stronger and supported me and lifted me up. So I wonder if you've had those moments in your career that you can take us back to or that you can tell us about mm. and share with us here today. I think the first woman that is inspiring for me is my mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I shared with you earlier, my mom and my dad they never, you know, stopped me when I wanted to try something new. Uh, you know, there was always a lot of encouragement. Mm. Uh, so my mom wasn't necessarily the strong business leader, uh, but she was, uh, I think, inspirational because she's a very courageous woman. Then in my career, I had you know multiple female uh, managers that I reported to, and honestly, all of them were quite supportive. So I was lucky in that sense to see good examples of mm. female leaders. Uh, but at now i don't remember an exact moment mm. but what i know is that it's really important to have role models mm-hmm. uh because many times when i talk to younger women about their careers when they ask me okay how did you manage to have two kids and a career how does it work what does your husband say they have a lot of concerns they have a lot of worries mm-hmm. and i feel like some of those concerns are there because they haven't seen the right examples seeing is believing mm-hmm. when you don't see the examples around you it's very difficult i think to visualize that it's possible mm-hmm. and then there are a lot of, there are a lot of stereotyping so what i try to do as much as possible uh, you know be part of podcasts like mm-hmm. this or you know go and be a speaker just to show that it's possible and give you know more role models to younger women so they know that they can do it if i did it mm. they can do it they can do better mm, absolutely and i know you mentioned earlier that you know a lot of the teams that you were in were quite male dominated and and you know being in that kind of environment you also mentioned you were an extrovert <laughs> so i wonder was there ever moments where melda became an introvert because of the mm. intense environment and the power of men around her did that ever occur i think it happens still today hopefully much less mm-hmm. uh, i don't know if you heard something called imposter syndrome mm-hmm. uh, so i think that happens to most of us women i think it's a more female challenge than 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 male so questioning maybe you know one's self worth am i really the right person in this role am i really making the right decision uh, what are these guys thinking about me so yes those moments happen mm. but i try to pull myself out of that by reminding what i have achieved earlier mm-hmm. uh, but also sometimes just calling a, a good friend <laughs> and asking them hey like you know give me some encouragement mm. tell me why i'm good in what i do mm. uh, and it really uh, helps but yes there are those moments 
it's not always, you know, great. So there are days where I'm like, okay, you know, can I really do it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, I mean, I find that uh, energy to, to come back. And that, I guess, the tribe around us, we've spoken about it and you kindly shared with us, you know, the support system that you have around you. But let's specifically talk about friends, because Mm -hmm. I think this is so important for younger girls and even grown women to understand that, you know, they say the the average of the five people closest to you, that is your, you know. And so if there's one person bringing you down, uh, then it's going to bring down your average completely. Definitely. How important is it to also, I guess, structure and strategize for the tribe around you? We spoke about structuring a relationship as a couple, but also your friends. Great question. My friends, my close friends are uh, equally important in my life as my husband or my kids. And I'm lucky to have uh, you know really great people around me. And I'm also lucky that they are not very similar to me. I have friends that are similar to me as a personality and some are quite different, Mm. but they're all very passionate uh, people, very passionate women, Mm. I would say. Uh, So there is that, you know, close friends that I have where when I, you know, when I'm not able to find the energy to to move forward, they Mm. are the ones I would call and uh, get some support. But the tribe is not just them. I think within the tribe, you need some maybe senior people with the right experience, uh, maybe more like mentors mm-hmm. that you can knock their door and ask some advice. Then there are peers that you can call and say, hey, you know, I'm having this difficulty. What do you do when it happens to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, I became much more intentional about creating this tribe, especially the mentors and the peers. Uh, for me, the sisterhood is super important. Uh, and I suggest, uh, you know, all the young women to start building that. It takes time. It mm-hmm. takes time and effort. Uh, but later on, you realize the importance of having that network, that support uh, to push you up. Mm, incredibly important. I think that it's actually carved me as not just a human personally, but professionally as well. And I got asked a question the other day, which I would love to ask you now, if that's okay. And that was, what has been the best moment of your career so far? Has there ever, has there been a standout moment? And it could have been early days, it could have been recent, but something that really stands out to you. You know, I mean, what's interesting is when those amazing things happen, the moment it happens, you actually don't know. You're not aware of it. You realize that it has been the... The best thing that happened maybe six months later or a year later, at least for me, this is my experience. When it happens, you don't realize because change is not easy mm-hmm. to embrace. So it takes me time to understand that it, it has been actually an amazing thing that happened to me. I think the yeah the, the amazing thing, the first thing that happened to me was I was working for the Gillette company and I loved the company. I loved the brands. I loved my team, my manager. And I thought I'm going to retire from that company. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was my first job. And I was in love, my first love. And uh, Procter & Gamble, another uh, FMCG giant, acquired Gillette. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I thought this is the worst thing could have, you know, that could have ever happened to my career because that's my dream company. I'm working there. And now my dream is over. Mm -hmm. And I was devastated maybe for six months. Now when I go back, I mean, that was the best thing that could have happened to me because 
that's where I realized that no, once you get out of your comfort zone, when you try something new, you actually grow faster. So I learned a different company culture, different categories, different people. And maybe the curiosity started at then, I mean, to your earlier question. Mm. Uh, but at that moment, I didn't realize it was a good thing. Now I know that it was amazing. Mm. I was forced to try something else. Right. And you learned so much from it. And I think that we also, just as humans, have this idea that our identities are attached to a company Mm. right and we think that's our home and that's our safe place when actually it's you it's within you um did you ever have that moment I guess that sounds like that was a moment where you had to find who Melda was away from Gillette right and how was that process for you and that voice that you had in your head what were you saying to yourself to actually you know realize that exactly what you said right hey I mean I was successful in Gillette because of who I am. Mm. It's not about the company, it's about me. And I will find my way in the next organization or the following organization. Mm-hmm. So it's the self-belief and, and reminding yourself that you can you can do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it is not enough, just call a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> They'll make you feel better always over a cup of tea. Um Now, I want to take you back to the pandemic, because I think what's quite interesting is how the workplace, how companies have just completely restructured and and changed their ethos, I guess, on the way of work. I think, uh, you know, Sharjah shifting to a four day working week has been huge. We're hoping Dubai Abu Dhabi will will, will take course very, very soon. How do you think things have shifted uh, specifically within your workplace that has really stood out to you? Yeah. It's, uh, I think it accelerated most of the trends. There were already trends in digital, in the workspace. But maybe with COVID, we uh, we saved 20 years mm-hmm. and the workplace uh, evolved much faster than uh, we all thought. Of course, pandemic was difficult for all of us. But I think in, all, in this crisis, there were also some positives in the workplace. Uh, and, and, and we all evolved. I think that the major change is this ability to work remotely. Mm-hmm. So we're not necessarily going to the office space every day. And offices are becoming more collaboration areas, mm-hmm. not necessarily working areas. So, I mean, it, this is the same for our office, but I know many companies are following the same. If you have to work on something on your own, it's okay. You work from your home, wherever you want. But if you need to collaborate with a team, then this is when you come for interactions, uh, for that human touch to feel part of a uh, mm-hmm. team. I think that's there to to stay. No one wants to give up that privilege now. Yeah. Although the COVID is over, I think everyone enjoyed this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we want to keep it as is. And I think it helped with the work-life integration that we discussed earlier to right now. We're saving the commute time. Mm-hmm. There's a bit of more flexibility in what you have to do. And I think that's also great for the female workforce Mm -hmm. because generally, I mean, unfortunately, but generally moms are the ones who are taking care of the kids. They, you know, pick up the kids, drop the kids from school, Mm -hmm. prepare lunch, prepare snack boxes. Mm -hmm. It was more difficult for them to maybe, you know, work uh, in a demanding job Mm -hmm. because they have to allocate their times for the families as well. Now, with working from home, I'm seeing that moms are able to manage their lives better, you know, the demands of the the family and the demands of of the workplace. Mm. So hopefully this will increase uh, the number of uh, women in the workforce and, you know, in the upper parts of the parliament. I think that's another change that we will see uh, in the in the coming years. Mm And finally, I think it will also help the diversity as well, because now, I mean, we might be in the same team, one of us living in India, the other Mm -hmm. one in uh, 
I don't know, Singapore and, and Dubai, mm. uh, because there is no more the, uh, how do you say, the, the needs, the rigid need of us all being in the same uh, place, right? Mm. So I think this will also improve uh, the, the diversity and the technologies enabling God, uh, that as well. So mm. yeah, I think it's 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 a it's a change for good. Yeah, absolutely. It's positive. And I think the flexibility has led to a greater focus, but also a greater result of mental health well-being within the workplace, right? I mean, uh, the higher up management are actually seeing the importance of this, that if they look after their staff uh, on a mental health wellness level, you'll get greater results on a business level. Have you seen that shift? I think it's the awareness is getting there. I don't think as leaders we have found the new ways of leading Mm. yet. Mm. It will take some time. But it really changed, right? Earlier, when you're a manager, you're a leader, your team is in the office, you see them every day, you know how many hours they are working, uh, you go into meetings together. It was more of, maybe um, I'm exaggerating it, but the managers kind of controlling what you do. Mm. And through that control, there was the belief that the performance will come through. Mm-hmm. Because, okay, I know Nimi is spending eight hours in the office. She's working on those. She comes five days. Mm-hmm. Okay, she should be able to deliver this report uh, for me by the end of the week. Now that control is not there anymore, right? Yeah. You're working from home. I have no idea about what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I have to trust you. Yeah, I have to give you the right enablers, mm-hmm. right tools. And I need to have a trust-based relationship to make sure that you're actually doing what you have to do and mm-hmm. you're delivering. And... For that trust relationship, I think it's very important that both of us, you know, the manager and the employee, the leader and the employees have that mental wellness Mm. uh, because I think trust only happens when both individuals are comfortable under their skins Mm -hmm. and they don't have other worries. So, yes, all of this changed, but I think it's, it's not easy. Like all the... The tools that we have learned, I mean, what I have learned in the first 20 years of my career in terms of leadership, mm-hmm. managerial skills, I mean, they are not all valid now. Mm-hmm. I need to find new ways of building that trust over Teams or Zoom screen. Yeah, yeah. And and that trust, let's hope uh, in the long term, it's built even more solid and people really on the manager side and as the employee realize the importance of that relationship. It's been so wonderful sitting down and talking to you here today. I feel like we could sit here for hours <laughs> and talk. You have shared so much uh, you know, of your journey personally and professionally, which I'm really, really hoping and I'm sure our listeners are going to benefit from greatly. Um, Melda, I want to thank you so much you. for your time and I hope you've enjoyed it. This is your first podcast yes, episode. Yes, I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you. Women in Leadership brought to you by Heron Code.